0: Welcome to North Valley Church's Sermon Podcast. We're in a sermon titled, Don't Widen the Plate. If you're interested in more information about North Valley Church or our sermon podcasts, you can find us on our website, nvcmd.org. Good morning, North Valley. Once again, my name is Jim McBride. I've been given the opportunity to speak to you today. Pastor Dan and Pitt G are downstairs helping in the children's ministry, so it's the least I can do to allow them that time to spend with our North Valley kids. And as has become the habit with me when I speak, I like to have one of our North Valley kids involved. So we're going to start off uh, today's sermon with Reagan, and Reagan's going to come read one of our focal uh, verses for us. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John fourteen 6. Let's give Reagan a hand. <laughs> Thank you, Reagan. So I know it is Super Bowl Sunday. Yes, football is my favorite sport. It's what I played in college. It's what I'm passionate about. And yes, I know I'm standing here in a baseball jersey, and I had some of the the children wear their baseball hats or baseball jerseys that play baseball, and I've got this home plate sitting here. All that will make sense before I'm finished, I promise. The title of today's sermon, whoops, is Don't Widen the Plate. Or drop it. Don't widen the plate. The main thing that I hope to accomplish today is to have an honest discussion about where I think we are in society today. Let me share a few examples. How many of you have heard of C.J. Stroud? C.J. Stroud was a rookie NFL quarterback this year. He was a standout quarterback at Ohio State University. He just completed his rookie year as the starting quarterback for the Houston Texans. The Houston Texans are a historically bad franchise. They lose a lot more games than they win. Through the play of CJ Stroud, first year head coach D'Amico Ryans, they won their division, they made the playoffs. Not only did they win their division and make the playoffs, they beat the Cleveland Browns in their first round game. And yes, I know all of you Ravens fans out there know that the Ravens beat the Texans in round two. But to take a team that has been historically bad and had only won three games in the two years prior to the playoffs in your first year as NFL quarterback speaks a lot as to your talent. After the Texans won their first-round playoff game against the uh, Cleveland Browns, Stroud was interviewed on the field. In that post-game interview, the very first thing that Stroud did was thank Jesus Christ. He mentioned his faith in Jesus Christ immediately. However, after that broadcast was over, When NBC posted the video on their social media channels, they cut that out. That was how the interview started. That was the very beginning of the interview. That was the first words that C.J. Stroud spoke. NBC saw fit to cut that out of the social media postings. The story doesn't stop there. Later that same night, Stroud was being interviewed by Scott Van Pelt of ESPN. Scott Van Pelt's question was, give me an answer that does not involve your faith. CJ stuck to his guns and mentioned his faith anyway. Two separate media networks, two separate giants in the sports world and in the media world. Two different entities trying to erase CJ Stroud's faith. In 2023, Pew Research did a survey of the United States. For what it's worth, this exact same survey they have done every year. The survey is on religion in the United States. Would you like to know the 2023 results? For the first time ever, for the first time in history, more people in the United States identified as having no religion as being an atheist or an agnostic, 28%. Larger than any other religious group. 28% are in the group they call the nuns, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. We don't believe in anything. We don't believe in any God. We don't believe in religion, period. When my now 28-year-old daughter was in a public high school on the Eastern Shore her freshman year at lunch one day. She was sitting at the lunch table by herself, reading her Bible in a public high school. An adult volunteer, not a paid staff member, was just an adult volunteer helping work on a volunteer basis in the lunchroom came up to her and told her she couldn't read the Bible in the school. You better believe the school office got a phone call We got an apology, which I didn't want her to care about. We were also told that it is not a school policy, and if she wanted to read her Bible, she could. And they apologized on behalf of this volunteer. So we can probably debate back and forth what is to blame for the change in American society today. today. But I promise you one thing. By the end of my message today, you will know exactly where I stand. Let's dive in. The Bible gives us the answer. Many of you have probably heard this uh, analogy or this abbreviation before. In fact, I have mentioned this very same analogy in a previous sermon um, over the last couple of years here at North Valley. It's what does the Bible stand for? Bible is believers' instructions Before leaving earth. It gives us the answer. The Bible gives us the answer. Next slide, please. The Bible gives us the answer to every question, every issue, every obstacle, every good or bad thing that we will ever experience. All we have to do is get familiar with it, refer to it, read it, and obey it. Matthew 4, Matthew chapter four, verse four says, but he answered and said, it is written, a man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Little background on this passage. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. He was hungry. He was weak. He was probably tired. And Satan challenged him to use his divine powers to satisfy his needs, to to get food, to get rest. Jesus, in his answer in Matthew 4-4, referred to the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament when God allowed Israel to hunger so that he could feed them manna and teach them to trust in him and trust him to provide for them. A more important source of sustenance than food is the Word of God. The Word of God nurtures our spiritual needs in a way that benefits us eternally instead of just meeting our temporary need for food. Let's look at another verse in the first chapter of John, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Apostle John wrote this gospel to build faith and confidence in Jesus so that we may believe that Jesus was truly the Son of God. John was an eyewitness to Jesus, John lived with Jesus. John knew Jesus intimately well, and he used his personal knowledge of that relationship with Jesus to write to believers everywhere. The term, the word, was used by theologians and philosophers of all walks of life during John's time. The word was used as an agent of creation, as the source of God's message to his people. As God's law, it was the principle of reason that governed the world and another expression of God. To John, the new understanding of the word was gospel, and it was the good news of Jesus Christ. The next verse we're going to discuss, I'm not going to spend as much time on. Pastor Dan mentioned it in his sermon last week, but it comes from the book of 2 Timothy. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I believe that verse is pretty self-explanatory. The Scripture is inspired by God so that believers are prepared for every good work. So for these, those of you who are following along in the outline into bulletin, Jesus, I'm sorry, the Bible gives us the answer. Whoops, now I can't see. Good thing I have part of it memorized. All right, so now we are going to move into the verse that Reagan shared with us. John 14, 6, and I added verse 7 as well. Part 2 of your outline, Jesus is the answer. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. In this verse, Jesus is answering the question from Thomas. Thomas said, Jesus, how can we know the way? Jesus declared that he is the way to God because he is the truth of God and the life of God. What this verse does is emphatically state that Jesus is the exclusive, the one and the only way to God. Only one way, not many ways. Only one way exists to God, and that way is Jesus Christ. Let's look at how the book of Acts puts it. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. You might know somebody that feels this way. Many people believe or react negatively to the not believe react negatively to the fact that Jesus is the only way to salvation. How many of you know someone or have had a friend or an acquaintance that says, "Well, I've lived a good life." I didn't do anything wrong. I don't get drunk. I don't do drugs. I've never been arrested. And they think that's going to get them into heaven. It's not. Jesus is the only way to salvation. And I want to remind you of something. The church did not decide this. It is the specific teaching of Jesus Himself. God designated Jesus to be the Savior of the world, and no one else is his equal. There is no other religious teacher who died for our sins, who came to earth as God's only son, or who rose from the dead. Our focus should solely be on Jesus, as there is no other way. Some of you, all of you are probably wondering why I'm wearing this Rick Dempsey autographed Orioles jersey, why I asked to play some baseball-themed music, why I asked some people to wear hats or, or jerseys about baseball, or more importantly, why I have this home plate sitting up here next to me today. Well, the answer to the Rick Dempsey question is I'm an Orioles fan, and he's my favorite Oriole of all time. I played catcher, he played catcher. For those of you who don't know, Rick Dempsey's the one that during Rain delays. He used to run around with a pillow under his jersey and slide on the tarp in the rain and entertain the fans. He stayed involved with the team up until just a few years ago in an announcer stage and has held various roles with the team. My conclusion to today's message has a baseball theme. I'm going to relay a story that I came across at a time in my life when I needed to hear it. That time was October of last year, so it's pretty recent. And I'm gonna go ahead and apologize, I'm gonna be emotional, I'm gonna get teary-eyed. The message has become personal to me. It reminds me of both my father and my grandfather and the way they lived their lives. It's become a mantra for Patty and I recently as well. It also sums up what happens when we as a country don't serve the Lord. The speaker in this story is named John Scalinos. Coach Scalinos was a college baseball coach and he died in 2009 at the age of 91. But he touched the lives of hundreds of baseball players and coaches everywhere. He is considered the best clinic speaker that the ABCA, and the ABCA is the American Baseball Coaches Association, has ever known because when he spoke, He spoke about more than just baseball. He was more than just a baseball coach. But his message was always clear. Coaches, keep your players, no matter how good they are. Keep your own children. And most of all, keep yourself at 17 inches. Don't widen the plate. I'm sharing this story as it happened, as it was shared by a baseball coach that attended the American Baseball Coaches Association meetings. In January of 1996, in Nashville, Tennessee, more than 4,000 baseball coaches descended upon the Opryland Hotel for the 52nd annual American Baseball Coaches Association convention. While I waited in line to register with the hotel staff, I heard other, more veteran coaches rumbling about the lineup of speakers scheduled to present during the weekend. One name in particular kept resurfacing, always with the same sentiment, John Scalinos is here? Oh man, he's worth every penny of my airfare. At the time of this convention in 1996, Coach Scalinos was 78 years old and had retired five years prior from coaching college baseball that began in 1948. So he spent 43 years coaching college football. He shuffled to the stage to an impressive standing ovation, wearing dark polyester pants, a light blue shirt, and had a string around his neck from which home plate hung, a full-sized stark white home plate. I'm not wearing it, but I have it. After he spoke for 25 minutes, not once mentioning the home plate hanging around his neck, Coach Scalinos appeared to notice the snickering and laughter from some of those in attendance. Even those who knew Coach Scalinos well were starting to wonder exactly where he was going with this, or if he had simply forgotten about the home plate around his neck since he had gotten on stage. Then finally, he said, You're probably all wondering where I'm wearing this home plate around my neck. Or maybe you think I escaped from the state mental hospital. I laughed along with the others acknowledging the possibility. No, he continued, I may be old, but I'm not crazy. The reason I stand before you today is to share with you baseball people what I have learned in my life and what I have learned about home plate in my 78 years. Scalinos asked how many Little League coaches were in the room, and several hands went up. Scalinos asked those who had their hands up, do you know how wide home plate is in Little League? I know at least one of you knows because I gave you the answer. How wide is home plate in Little League? 17 inches. So after a pause, someone offered 17 inches, but they were saying it more as a question than an answer. Scalinos yells out, That's right! How about in Babe Ruth? How about in Babe Ruth? How many Babe Ruth coaches are in the auditorium? There was another long pause. Finally, a reluctant coach, sort of questioningly again, said 17 inches. And Scalinos again yells out, That's right! 17 inches. What about you high school coaches? How many high school coaches do we have in the room today? Hundreds of hands shot up and a pattern began to appear. How wide is home plate in high school baseball? And they all shouted 17 inches. inches. How about my college coaches? How many college coaches are in the room? How wide is home plate in college? 17 inches. And what about you professional baseball coaches, minor league baseball coaches? How wide is the home plate at a Frederick Keys, Ghost Towns, whatever they're called, Bowie Bay Sox game? 17 inches. And finally, in the major leagues, the Orioles, Baltimore, I know we got a Phillies fan in here. How wide is home plate in the major leagues? 17 inches. And what do they do with a big league pitcher who cannot throw the ball over 17 inches of plate? They send them to the minors. Here's what they don't do. They don't say, that's okay, little Jimmy. If you can't throw a strike over a 17-inch wide plate, we'll make it wider for you. We'll make it 18, 19, 20 inches so that you can throw the ball over the plate. We'll make it 20 inches so that you can throw a strike and not walk the batter. If you can't hit that, let us know. We'll make it wider still, maybe 25 inches. He paused, and he said again, Coaches, what do we do when our best player shows up late to practice? What about when our team rules forbid facial hair and a guy shows up unshaven? What about the guy that gets caught drinking? Do we hold him accountable? Or do we change the rules to fit him in? Do we widen home plate? 4,000 coaches grew quiet. The fog lifting as the coach's message began to unfold. Now you have to give me a second. Excuse my artwork. I'm a horrible artist, but I think you'll get the point. At this time, Scalinos turned the home plate around his neck, facing himself, grabbed a black Sharpie, and began to draw on home plate. He turned it around. A house was revealed, complete with a freshly drawn door and two windows. This is the problem in our homes today Scalino said, with our marriages, with the way we parent our kids, with our discipline. We don't teach accountability to our kids, and there is no consequence for failing to meet the standards. We widen the plate. Scalinos turned the plate around facing him again, began to do some little more drawing, apologize, Scalinos had a little American flag, but I had to draw the representation of an American flag because I don't have them. He turned the plate around and he said, this is the problem in our schools today. The quality of our education is going downhill fast and teachers have been stripped of the tools that they need to be successful. They've been stripped of the tools they need to educate and discipline our young people. We are allowing others to widen home plate, and where is that getting us? He turned home plate around again, made one last draw. He drew a cross. Silence filled the room. He said, and this is the problem in our church, where powerful people in positions of authority have taken advantage of young children, only to have such an sh- atrocity swept under the rug for years. Our church leaders are widening home plate. The coach who shared this story at this time said he was amazed. At a baseball convention where I expected to learn something about curveballs and bunting and stealing bases and how to run better practices, I had learned something far more valuable from an old man with a home plate strung around his neck. I learned a lesson about life, about myself, about my own weaknesses, and about my responsibilities as a leader. I have to hold myself accountable, and I have to hold others accountable to that which I know to be right, lest our families, our faith, and our society will continue down an undesirable path. In conclusion, Coach Kalinos said, If I am lucky, you will remember one thing from this old baseball coach today. And that thing is this. If we fail to hold ourselves to a higher standard, a standard of what we know to be right, if we fail to hold our spouses and our children to the same standards, if we are unwilling or unable to provide a consequence when they do not meet the standard, and if our schools and our churches and our government fail to hold themselves accountable to those that they serve, there is but one thing to look forward to. Dark days ahead. As I talk about the last verse, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. The last set of verses comes from Joshua 24. I apologize. The outline in your um, bulletin has the right verses, but it has the wrong blanks up top. The blank should say it's time to follow the answer. Joshua 24:15 says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve. Rather, the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Fast forward to verse 21, the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And in verse 24, the people again said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. In verse 15, Joshua lets the entire nation of Israel know where he stands, where his family stands, and that is that they will serve the Lord. In verses 21 and 24, the people of the nation of Israel boldly proclaim that they will also serve the Lord. I believe the people of Israel were in a similar spot to where I think we are as a society today. They had to decide whether they would obey the Lord, who had proven his trustworthiness, or whether they would obey the local gods, which were man-made idols, such as drugs, alcohol, abortion, sexual freedom, the media companies trying to remove faith from our airwaves, or anything that gets in the way of us serving Jesus. Jesus is our answer. It is easy to slip into a quiet rebellion going about your life in your own way. But the time comes when you have to choose who or what will control you. The choice is yours. Will it be God, your own limited personality, or another imperfect substitute? Joshua's fatherly fatherly model was for himself and his family to serve the Lord, not false gods. And he called others in Israel to follow his lead, and they committed to follow the Lord. Don't widen the plate. If we as a church fail to hold ourselves, our families, and our communities to the standards Jesus and the Bible have taught us, if we keep widening the plate by accepting society's views of what is right and wrong and not God's, Dark days are indeed ahead. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What about yours? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the people um, who are here today. Thank you for my church family. Thank you for the the leaders that we have. Lord, our society is uh, maybe taking a step back from you. Lord, I hope that we as North Valley Church can help lead it back. Starting right here within the four walls of our church, moving to our community, our county, our state, our country, and eventually our whole world, Lord. You've given us the instructions. All we have to do is listen and follow them and not widen the plate. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys join the worship.